Hello everyone and welcome to Sam Talks Technology, your weekly guide about all things tech and business with Sam Sethi. Hello and welcome to another show from Sam Talks Technology. I'm super excited. I've got a megastar turned up. She's Sarah Freer. She's just written a brilliant book called No Filter. Sarah, hello. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Now, this book is everywhere. It's brilliant. I highly recommend it to read. It's in my top 10 reads of the moment. Now, before we ask you why you wrote the book, where are you working? What do you cover these days, first of all? So I've been a reporter covering social media at Bloomberg and Business Week since, since really Facebook's IPO. I've been doing it for about eight years and focus a lot. It used to be that it was all about the business and charting how these companies were growing. And I think more of the job has turned into what is the impact of the decisions within these companies and how is it affecting the, the competitive landscape, the way the companies run internally, the way they affect all of us in the world. And so it's been quite an interesting, interesting evolution of that social media beat over the last decade. Okay. And so given your broad background of knowledge in this area, I guess you could have written about any one of them. Why did you choose Instagram first? I chose Instagram because the story was untold. I, I, I felt like after the 2016 presidential election, that I had a major blind spot in how I was covering Facebook. As I mentioned, I was focused more on, you know, are they going to figure out mobile advertising? Are they going to be able to compete with Google in this area? It was more about the business and it was less about what is this doing to our society? So after the election, realizing that there was this, this major effect in, in how we are, we are interpreting our information, we are making our life decisions based on what we see on these social platforms, I thought, what, what, is, my, what is my other blind spot? What, what should I be digging into that I'm not? And one of the things on my list was Instagram. And so I didn't know that I would find much interesting because we tend to think that when companies are acquired, that's the end of their story. It's the happy ending for Instagram. After 18 months with just about a dozen employees, they get a billion dollar offer from Facebook. Happy ending for any startup. Happy days and then we Happy days. And then we don't, we don't hear about what's happening internally. We, we hear about the massive cultural stories like, you know, Beyonce did this on her Instagram and Rihanna did that, but we don't hear what the company is doing with it. And, and they were presenting themselves as operating very happily independently within Facebook. Well, I knew all the drama at Twitter. I knew all the drama at Snapchat, all the drama at Facebook. I thought maybe there's something under this rock. <laughs> if I lift it up, <laughs> that I'll find something. And, and so I started digging and I wrote this cover story and, and it came out when Zuckerberg was testifying in front of US Congress. And it was about the, the different way that we interpret Instagram versus Facebook, even though Instagram is owned by Facebook. A lot of people don't know that. And they think of it as an escape from Facebook. And until, they, so, until they put the words Facebook all over it. Yes. <laughs> even now, even now, if you pull people, they don't, they don't make the connection. And so I, I wrote that story about the way that Instagram has grown differently than Facebook, barely scratching the surface. And suddenly people wanted to know more. And, and they referenced my story for months and analysts started valuing Instagram at a hundred billion saying if, if Instagram were separate from Facebook, it'd be worth more than a hundred billion. Instagram that year uh, was really on the path to a billion users. 
And, and then I, I, I just realized that there's so much that I didn't write and that I, I just starting to pull on the thread that I realized that there was a whole book. And, and when I started writing the book, it, I wasn't sure what the plot would be. I just knew that I needed to know more. And a month after, a, a month into my reporting, I was starting to realize that there was, there was a whole lot of tension actually between Mark Zuckerberg and Kevin Systrom. And I was thinking, what, what will happen if the founders leave before I'm done with this book project? Will the plot change? And then, then weeks later, just mere weeks, as I was still negotiating with Facebook about whether I would get to talk to anyone for the book, as I was still trying to get them to be interested in, in working with me on the project, they left. And, and it shocked everyone, but, but I knew immediately why, because I'd already been having these conversations with sources. And, and, then, and then I just dug into it from there and, and had a clearer path about, okay, I need to understand this, this rosy picture that we know on the outside about this happy ending, how did it really go down? And, and so then I started reporting more deeply from there and started okay. writing. So, okay, so here's Instagram. You start scratching at the surface. Did you find the story you expected? Was it going to be, did you pre- determine in your head you thought oh yeah I, I, this is easy I know exactly what happened you know they fell out the company or did you find things slightly different to what you expected going into the story oh it was completely different than I, I had no idea what it was going to be because I thought maybe this is the book about Facebook's future maybe this is the book about the thing that will save Facebook from all its crises is Instagram and like how did we get there or maybe this is just something that's going to explain to people at a very high level how to build a product that has a tremendous cultural impact and in, in brand within our world. I mean, the way that I, I thought of Instagram was it, you just look around you and you can see the impact in a way that you can't see the impact of Facebook or Twitter. Um, you can see the, the way that coffee shops have been designed has changed, the way that people arrange their weddings to be so Instagrammable. Instagrammable is a word that we all use and, and understand as part of our culture. Even if we don't use Instagram, we can see a, a photo booth at every event. We can yeah. see the, the way that people, you know, post about post in front of murals posing in, in our downtown areas. And so I really wanted to know how that happens. And the thing that surprised me the most beyond that tension that I spoke about with, with Zuckerberg and Systrom was the way that Instagram actually curated a lot of those changes in our culture by hand through editorial choices. And when we think about Twitter and Facebook and other social media properties, they are so insistent that they are just neutral platforms, just reflecting humanity and whatever goes viral or rises to the top. I mean, that's their user's choice. The algorithm determines what you might want to see based on what you've looked at in the past. And Instagram was very different in a way that I, I really didn't understand before I started digging into it. They had employees who were making people famous and catering to celebrities and um, picking some content over other content, encouraging some behavior over other behavior. And, and that's partially how they built their incredible brand was from these human decisions. And, and that's part of why they ultimately clashed so much with Facebook. 
because Facebook is all about scale. They're all about why would you do something for one person when you could do it for 10 million people or 100 million people or even at this scale, billions. So it really was an interesting, completely flipped idea on how to build a company. And it also worked. Yeah, and it worked very well. I mean, it worked very well. TikTok is by allegedly is doing very much the same thing. You don't see ugly men or women on TikTok. You don't see old people. You don't see, they, they curate the algorithm by all accounts so that only good looking people appear on the algorithm. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but that's, that's the rumor. And clearly Instagram were doing exactly the same. Only pretty pictures would appear in the algorithm. It sort of trained us to, to think about how we post our own content. And, and think about how to win the game of Instagram. And we started going out of our way to have experiences that were Instagrammable, to pay for meals that were Instagrammable, or go on vacations that were Instagrammable. And, and so it really shaped our economy and how things get sold to us. And then, of course, there's, there's the whole influencer industry, which, which we have seen rise on Instagram. And, and on TikTok, I would say, you know, there, there is a difference because TikTok is so algorithmically driven. Your TikTok is not the same as my TikTok. Our experience is, is very curated based on what we've clicked on before. In the early days, in the early years of Instagram, there was no algorithm except for what you decided to look at. You could follow, you could follow somebody who was a skateboarding influencer and then other skateboarding influencers we're probably interacting with them and, and building a community through hashtags. And that's how you would find it, it was a very, it was a very manual discovery process for everyone. Whereas on TikTok, you just get into rabbit holes kind of without even realizing it. Similar with YouTube. Once you start down a path, it just feeds you more and more of the same. Now Instagram is going more and more in that direction now also because of the influence of Facebook, but back in the early days, it, Instagram's employees wanted you to see something that you might not necessarily be looking for. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I'm an oldie, so Facebook is where the oldies hang out, allegedly. Instagram's where the young still hang out. Why didn't people continue to post to Facebook? And why did they move to Instagram for posting imagery? Because Facebook, you can post a pretty I could take my camera out now take a photo of a pretty picture post it onto Facebook and boom I'm done and equally people could share that and reshare that but I could have put that on Instagram no one can really reshare that why did why did Instagram take off in that sense was it the filters or was it something else the most important difference between Facebook and Instagram is that on Facebook you get resharing and on Instagram you don't on Facebook, you can post something and people will comment on it. They might share it. It could go viral. But on Instagram, if you post something, you, it's from you. It, Facebook, we're posting links, we're posting uh, videos, we're posting memes, and they might not be created by us. But on Instagram, if you go to someone's Instagram, it's a reflection of their life and their creativity and their experiences. So it became really the ultimate personal benchmarking tool. If you follow someone on Facebook, you're probably mutually friends with them. 
if you follow someone on Instagram, they don't have to know you. You don't have to know them. You just like what they create. So that means mm. that there can be an imbalance. Um, I can have, I, I can be following a lot more people that follow me or alternatively I could become famous and, and it's not my content that goes viral. It's me. It's, it's the actual account. And, and so that's why Instagram is the place to post the most beautiful photos because we're trying to reflect who we are and we're trying to build this, this vision of ourselves as we'd like to be seen. Whereas Facebook has this, has other purposes. It's for connecting with people that we already know. It's for mutual commenting and, and posting about your life updates, but also the news and also events and also groups. There's so much there. And Instagram, it's more, you're more likely to post one important photo from the wedding, whereas on Facebook, you post the whole album. Right. So, okay. So, okay. That's, that's a good way of explaining what the difference is. Now, for those who don't know, how did Instagram come about? There's a great backstory to Instagram. How did Kevin and his co-founder partner meet up and, and grow the business? Instagram was born in this era of the early era of smartphones. The iPhone had, had just started getting mainstream appeal. All of the social networks that were popular at the time were desktop first. I guess you could argue that Twitter was, was very mobile oriented when people used to tweet via a text message. I don't know if you remember, you remember that. Oh, Sadly, I do remember that, probably, yes. <laughs> probably don't remember that. You would tweet a 40404 via SMS. A lot of people in, in some countries still do that. But, but Instagram, it, w- it was born out of this idea that with phones in your pocket, with the ability to know someone's location, to be able to take photos wherever you went, all of these exciting things that you could do with a phone, like let's make an app that really capitalizes on that. And it was, a, it was an idea that didn't work at first because the first version was called Bourbon. And it, it was very attuned to Kevin Systrom, the CEO, his sensibilities, just that he really liked nice restaurants and nice bars and, and hanging out with friends. And he imagined that people would like post where they were going and then everyone else would show up at that place, which only kind of works if you're in your early 20s. <laughs> and so we built this app called Bourbon and people thought it was cool, but they weren't like gonna use it. They were, they were like, good job, Kevin, that's cool. And, and then he and Mike Krieger, who he met working on this coding project, they were both coding in cafes and they, they decided to work together on bourbon but they also thought, okay, we want to make something really important. So how can we make this better? And they went and drew it out on a whiteboard. Like what problem are we really trying to solve for people? What do people want that we're giving them that we can just pare very down to its, its bones and make the most simple app we possibly can? And they decided that photography was the thing that they were going to focus on. They decided to do it in a way that was very optimized for mobile phones because if you looked at what Facebook was doing their mobile app was barely functional it was like it was just like a copycat of what they had on the desktop 
it was very hard to use. And Instagram just felt right for a mobile phone. It was, it was the first app that people used and thought, well, this makes sense. I can take it out with me. I can use it as I'm out and about at, at whatever concert I'm going to, at whatever uh, walk I'm doing in my neighborhood. My Instagram can be my companion to real life as opposed to something that I check when I go home instead of my couch. Yep. So that's really how it, how it caught on. But the bigger, one of the bigger things, I mean, there were other apps. There was Hipsmatic, there was PicPlease, there were other apps attempting to do this kind of photo sharing and even photo filtering. But Kevin had a background in photography and he understood how to take really grainy, bad lighting photos and make them look alluring and nostalgic and professional. And so he applied filters to Instagram that actually resonated more with people than the filters that other, other apps were making. And he also, this is more uh, about Instagram's cultural impact and how they built that. He understood who he needed to get to use the product to reflect the right thing to more people who would join. So he got artists, creatives, musicians, people who had big followings in tech, everyone who had a big Twitter following, he got them to use Instagram. And then when those people were using it and showing how beautiful you could make your world look, then other people got really interested in it. It was like an influencer campaign. And the biggest Instagram influencer in the earliest days was Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO of Twitter. He was an early investor in Instagram and he loved it. He loved photography and he kept tweeting about it over and over and over. And as one of the creators of Twitter, he had a huge following. So it really helped Instagram catch on and gain traction as these other apps uh, sort of faltered. Yeah. I'm uh, looking back. Um, I was an early user of Flickr and I'm quite amazed actually. I think while you were talking, I was listening, I was going, yeah, but why didn't Flickr make this? Why didn't Flickr take this opportunity? They were so far ahead. And I just wondered whether it was because they got acquired by Yahoo that it left a window uh, because once they'd gone into Yahoo, they sort of disappeared down a rabbit hole of corporate whatever-ness. And I wondered, you know, maybe that opportunity came to, to Instagram because of all the platforms at the time, Flickr was the one where everyone was hosting their photos and storing everything. It was the cool place to put stuff at the time. Um, I don't know. Were you, were, yeah. you, were you user of Flickr or were you far too young to use it at the time? No, I, I actually I spoke with Katerina Fake about this. She was, she was, one of, she was Flickr's co-founder. And yes, it did get killed within the bureaucracy of Yahoo. But I think the other aspect of it, they didn't have, they didn't have a big plan for mobile, partially because of, of that corporate overlord. And also mobile phones weren't creating high quality photos and the community on Flickr, if you remember was all about like, what are you going to take on your DSLR? What are you going to do with your, Canon. With your good big Canon EOS digital, whatever. Yes. And, and it was all creative commons. It was all about like, you know, sharing really good photography. Instagram, when I say Instagram was well suited for mobile, Partially that's because they understood that mobile photos were crap at the time. It, it, the iPhone was not taking good photos back then. 
they were grainy, they were um, badly lit, they were, no one who was using their iPhone for photos was especially adept. It was regular people who were just taking out their phones and trying it out because all of a sudden they had a phone in their pocket. And so it really democratized photography in a way that, that Flickr didn't, because Flickr was about people who self-described as photographers. Instagram was about everyone. Yeah, I agree with that. So, okay, let's fast forward a little bit. So Kevin has got the company up and running. It, they, they've now grown massive. They're about to be acquired. Um, did I, I remember you saying that they had the opportunity or Twitter tried to buy them? Because Twitter at the time clearly was on an acquisition path to diversify because they were going after Periscope. They were doing a whole bunch of other things. Why didn't Twitter buy them, given that Jack Dorsey was an early investor, given that they must have been good friends as well, I guess? They were good friends. Kevin Systrom was actually an intern at Odeo, the company that later made Twitter. And they just couldn't get their act together. They tried many times. They, they, got, they, they were the first to notice that Instagram should be a part of Twitter. They, more, than, more so than you know, Microsoft, Apple, all these other companies were also reaching out to Kevin. They, they would have the internal disagreements. There was a lot of tension between Jack Dorsey and Ev Williams. If you read Hatching Twitter by Nick oh, Hilton, yes. you, yep, <laughs> you, remember, you remember that tension. And so three times they tried. The first time was before Instagram even launched. And in that case, Ev Williams stood in the way because it was Jack's idea. The second time, it was of about 10 months into Instagram's growth. And that time, Dick Costolo, who was the then CEO of Twitter, uh, the new CEO of Twitter, stood in the way because he, he thought that it was too expensive for such a tiny app. A few months later, it was pretty obvious that if Twitter didn't acquire Instagram, then they might have a huge competitor on their hands. And at the time, Inst Twitter was, was really living off the glow of that Hudson plane landing photo. They thought, what if that kind of big news event happens on Instagram instead? And that seems a little crazy to think about. Ev Williams thought that that would never happen. Um, but Dick started to let himself be convinced. He thought, okay, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to do it big. And so Twitter went all, all hands on deck to try to convince Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger to join. There were multiple dinners, multiple drinks, investors involved from Benchmark. And ultimately, it, they were talking more about the money than they were about the vision. And Kevin is wavering on it and he ultimately decides, look, I don't think we want to sell. You don't seem to know what you want to do with us. Then Mark Zuckerberg reaches out when, when Instagram is just getting another venture investment from Sequoia. And Mark Zuckerberg knows immediately what he wants because Zuckerberg himself was someone who had to turn down an offer to, to have Facebook acquired by Yahoo. And that he didn't want to be subsumed by a major corporate overlord and just have everything he created be under somebody else's watch. So he told Kevin and Mike, if you come join Facebook, 
you'll get to be independent, but within Facebook, you'll have all of the growth potential and all of the resources of Facebook at your disposal, but you still get to be the founders and you still get to have the vision. And that really resonated because imagine being able to grow your company with no risk. And if you succeed, you succeed in a big way. And if you fail, well, maybe you were going to fail anyway. Yeah. So was the billion dollars though a major decision maker is Kevin driven by that or is he driven purely by the independence of running the company was that the bigger driver for him or was it a case of wow 13 people one billion dollars that's the big paycheck Twitter wasn't going to make that so was it money or was it independence the money made it impossible to ignore nobody had ever paid a billion dollars for a mobile app before that said Twitter claims or at least my Twitter sources claim that they would have gone up to that level. Had Kevin said, listen, I need more, they would have, they would have gone for more. It was more about the, the ego, right? If you are going to be acquired by somebody, you still want a chance to build it into the thing you always thought it could be. And, and Instagram was also struggling. I mean, the other aspect of it was Kevin and Mike, because they had these, these very uh, high standards for everything, it was really hard for them to hire. They weren't finding a lot of people who would be a good fit for Instagram. Kevin was trying to, to only hire people who would be completely obsessed with the product and its potential for success. And they only, that's why they only had about a dozen employees and they were, they were crushed under the weight of Instagram success. Mike Krieger had to, had to, reboot the servers while he was camping while he was at birthday parties while he was at bars twitter wasn't known for its engineering excellence you remember the fail whale oh very much so yeah <laughs> back in 2006 so, it came up and, a lot and facebook really was and mike krieger really admired their engineering backend so if they're going to go join any company the one that they could imagine themselves succeeding at and, and one that would really solve their problems was Facebook. Yeah. I, I guess that big corporate infrastructure that they could get into now. Okay. So now they're inside the, the big blue, they're independent for a long while, but clearly there must've been tension. I think what you said, there was a lot of tension between, I guess Zuckerberg not wanting Facebook to become bigger than Facebook. What was that tension like? I mean, was it, was it obvious from the start or did it just manifest over a period of time? I, I picked through this in my reporting and I, I wanted to figure, I wanted to trace, like where did this really begin? The, the earliest example starts right away when Instagram joins Facebook and the growth team at Facebook, this infamous growth team that basically they, they hack our attention. They try to get us to use Facebook in whatever way possible, through notifications, through tweaking the app, through acquisition, through all of these means. They met with Instagram and said, we're not going to be able to help you until we find out that whether the amount of posting people are doing on Instagram is threatening the amount of posting people do on Facebook. So already 
they've went, they've gone through this grueling acquisition process, months of regulatory overview company joins and they're willing to kill it or they're willing to not let it thrive if they find that it's a threat to Facebook. And that's a, the harbinger of things to come. The, the company in the beginning is, is very willing to let Instagram do its own thing because Zuckerberg realizes that, that if they smother it, then what, what do they even pay for? They had to let Instagram continue to do what people loved it for. But eventually it was time to pay the mothership back. And that started in advertising. Kevin Systrom was, was very uh, particular about the kind of ads he wanted to run on Instagram. He didn't want it to be like the ugly billboard display ads that run on Facebook. He wanted it to be beautiful, like the, the pages of Vogue. One of the first ads was something that he himself edited on a plane to make the french fries look crispier like he really cared about the polished image and about presenting things in a way that that was like art photography zuckerberg basically told him to get over himself and in 2015 says you need to figure this out figure out how to really scale instagram advertising or facebook is just going to take it over and so they figured it out and they decided to, to tie Instagram into Facebook and make it so anyone who had a credit card could buy an ad instead of just one ad per day. And it really, it really worked. Um, they got up to a billion in annual revenue by the end of 2015. And that was kind of the last time that something that Zuckerberg did to to intervene in Instagram resulted in, in an outcome that made the founders happy. <laughs> because starting in 2016, they really get, they get, more, they get more into trying to build, they were going to lose a lot of their momentum if they didn't solve another major problem, which is that people who were posting on Instagram felt so much pressure to post things of quality. And Snapchat was really on their tail their teens especially were moving to Snapchat to post more photos. And so eventually Instagram comes up with a way to solve this by, by copying Snapchat stories. And that's the thing that accelerates their growth. And once their growth is accelerating, once Instagram is on the path to a billion users, that's exactly when Facebook is in its moment of crisis. It's after the 2016 election, they're being, beaten down by, by uh, everyone in the public for their potential role in allowing Russia to spread misinformation. And that along with violent live video, with terrorism recruitment happening on Facebook, all of these horrible things that they were having to contend with, Instagram starts to look like an escape. And in Zuckerberg's mind, Instagram starts to look like something that's going to eat Facebook's lunch. So he starts to investigate whether Instagram is cannibalizing Facebook's potential. And he finds that it is, or at least in his mind it is. Depends how you read the data. Yeah. And so he starts to cut off Instagram's resources and tells them they can't hire as many people and tells them they can't advertise anymore on Facebook and cuts off the Facebook links to Instagram. And yeah. at the same time, he asked Instagram to add links to Facebook. Yeah, 
which you still can do, but you can't go the other way exactly. Now, um, okay, so Mark's having a moment where he, he's seeing his acquisition maybe eating him, him up, eating the big blue. Is that the time Kevin just said enough? Is that the time he said, right, you can have it? Because Mark's got a track record with Oculus, with WhatsApp, and now Instagram of, you know, falling out with the acquired CEOs. Is this, you know, Mark that causes it? Or is it just because all CEOs and entrepreneurs are fundamentally quite, you know, possessive about their baby? You know, this is my thing I built. Don't, don't change it. I, I want to run it. Do you, is it because entrepreneurs inside big corporates just never work? Or is it because Mark Zuckerberg is quite domineering downward? I think in the beginning of the tension, Kevin really feels like eventually Zuckerberg will see the light and reverse his, reverse his concern because he thinks, listen, I've done everything that Facebook wanted. I've grown Instagram to an incredible size. I have even increased our contribution to the bottom line. I thought if I did both of those things, that I would be rewarded with more independence. Instead, he's getting cut off. So for a while, it's, it's just a little bit of disbelief. Like maybe this will all shake out. Maybe Zuckerberg will realize that he owns Instagram. Like you could just let Instagram get more popular. You could just let it become what, what it can become. It reaches its full potential. And even other managers at Facebook and Zuckerberg's more Monday morning meetings were feeling the same way. Like if this is something that people want, like why not give it to them? But the way Zuckerberg thought about our behavior as, as users of these products was different. He thought that Facebook's contribution to Instagram was what was really causing it to grow at such a rate. And that it was sort of unfair that Facebook had given so much to Instagram and Instagram hadn't given back to Facebook. So over the course of, of those months, Kevin's thinking, am I, am I building my product for Facebook Inc., in which case like it should be considered a success, or am I building it for Facebook, the social network, in which case like we need to be thinking about it completely differently. And Zuckerberg really wanted Facebook, the social network, to be at the center of Facebook's growth. And ultimately, once Kevin realized that, he thought, well, then I'm not, I'm not getting what I was promised. I'm not building an independent thing within a larger organization. I'm simply a department of Facebook, which is not something that appealed to him anymore. Okay. So Kevin, Kevin's gone. I mean, he's focusing on data now. And I think his interview with Kara Swisher, he said that He's actually building something in the social space again, which will be interesting to see. But since he's gone, has Mark Zuckerberg been vindicated? I mean, Instagram, e-commerce, advertising, revenue is going through the roof. So user numbers are going through the roof. The Facebookification of Instagram, if that's ever a word, is, is Mark being proven right? Is Kevin wrong? Or is Kevin not wrong, but at least Mark is right? Well, I think it's a it's an interesting strategy because you see this this lack of transparency from Facebook now about how successful Instagram even is. We don't we haven't gotten a number of 
Instagram users since 2018, and we may never again get a public number. Um, that's when they reached a billion users. And who knows where they're at now? Because Facebook is going to, in the future, only tell you the amount of people who use the quote-unquote Facebook family. That's Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, and Facebook. So we actually, we actually don't get a lot of visibility. They don't announce the individual revenue contribution of Instagram, although my sources tell me it is, it is around $20 billion in 2019, which is about a quarter of Facebook's revenue. So they're really not telling the separate Instagram business story, which makes it harder to answer that question about how well it's doing. One of the negative consequences of this arrangement is certainly on the, the enforcement of, of bad, uh, enforcement against bad behavior on Instagram. Because Instagram is a part of Facebook and all of the, the content moderation and problem solving is centralized within Facebook, Instagram becomes a lower priority than the problems that Facebook has. And, and Facebook has always prioritized things that, the, that they're getting public pushback on. And it's a lot harder to find the problems within Instagram, but they're just as big. Instagram was used even more than Facebook by Russia to manipulate the 2016 presidential election. Really? There are more, more posts on Instagram. There, there were even whole influencer accounts that, were, that had Russian backing that started to try to convince black people not to vote, for instance, or that Hillary Clinton was a bad feminist. And that's not something that we really talk about as a society. And what I hope happens when people read my book is they start to think about Instagram's impact within context of Facebook's ownership and think about, you know, is this, is this a platform that is, that is being protected and, and are people who are using it being served well? I get messages in my Twitter DMs almost every day from people who have lost their Instagram accounts and can't get them back or who are having some other kind of Instagram customer service problem. And I know that employees feel the same. I mean, there's a, there's a huge black market for getting verified on Instagram, for buying comments on Instagram and, and followers. And so I, I think I just look at it and think it really could just be so much better if, if you ask employees at Instagram why these problems exist, they say that they don't have the resources to fully solve them in a proactive way. Why don't they have the resources? I, I don't know. I mean, what, I mean why would you if kill? You're part of, if you're part of Facebook, why don't you have the resources? Exactly. Has, has so many resources. So, so I think that that's, that's the downside. But the upside is, of course, that Instagram has, has access to all of Facebook's infrastructure. They have access to all of Facebook's machine learning. They have access to, to Facebook's policy people who can deal with pushback from regulators. And so, so yeah, that makes it a lot easier to run, run the company. So I've got uh, two questions that run in parallel, I guess. One is, where do you see Instagram evolving to? Is it going to be much more ad-driven? Uh, will they bring sharing in? Will they turn it into Facebook, fundamentally adding the communication? Or 
do you follow the what elizabeth warren school of thought which is you know whatsapp instagram and facebook need to be split up where do you see the the two paths of instagram i guess well i think it's even harder to split them up now because zuckerberg has focused so much effort on tying them closer together i the biggest thing that we'll notice in the future of instagram is that it'll be built more tightly integrated with facebook already the messaging team for instagram reports to facebook already the the community operations content operations side of things is managed mostly by facebook and zuckerberg wants to make it so that you can jump between app to app very easily that if you are on messenger you should be able to message somebody on instagram direct and and vice versa so I think you'll start to see those ties more more clearly. And then, yeah, you will see a big commercialization of Instagram. But one thing to note is it's really hard to predict what's going to happen to these platforms in light of coronavirus. Right now on Instagram, the way we use it has, has dramatically changed. It's not so much about showing off our, our wonderful adventures in life. It's it's more about connecting with other people because to show off right now would be a little heartless. Yes, it would. And, and so what we're seeing on Instagram, it's actually very interesting. A lot of live video, a lot of messaging, a lot of tutorials, you know, influencers who are giving workout tips or cooking tips or whatever it might be to help people who are stuck at home. And then you're also seeing a lot of bad information. You're seeing the whole wellness side of Instagram give people bad advice on how to protect themselves. And um, you're seeing a lot of scammers selling masks and and selling sanitizer and, and marking up the prices. So I think that you're seeing the problems shift and you're seeing the opportunities shift at a very rapid rate in all of Facebook's properties are seeing activity at their peak, which goes to show that these products have become underlying infrastructure of our society. They're more necessary than ever because we can't see each other in person. And so we need ways to connect. So I just think that that we need to pay attention to how the company is addressing those new issues as they come up and what they invest in okay so tighter integration between the three i mean i had high hopes for libra the the micro payments that was going to allow i guess me to pay for people's attention with real cash or some sort of digital cash rather than on medium giving someone a clap or giving them a thumbs up you know which doesn't pay anyone's rent so i i guess tighter integration is natural so Kevin Kelly, who, who's a wonderful author, said that, you know, um, going forward, the, the biggest thing that we all will value is attention. That's the last thing. You know, we have, we have abundance in pretty much everything else, but scarcity is our attention. TikTok, Quibi, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they're all after our attention. Which one's going to win? Or are they different? And we, we, we juggle them. I think it depends on how, how we're feeling, but you're right. There's only a limited number of minutes in the day. And that's certainly the equation Zuckerberg is making when he's looking at how many minutes are, are people spending on Instagram versus Facebook? 
I think that people are turning to TikTok now because there's a lot of good distraction there. There's a lot of lighthearted animal videos and dance moves and things that will make you laugh. I think people are turning to Instagram because it has, you know, a lot of, a lot of resources for entertainment that's maybe a little bit more longer form or a little bit more personality based. But I think it's going to be hard for Instagram long term because of the commercialization of it. And Instagram this year was supposed to release um, or really build out its shopping tool so that you could shop from people directly on Instagram. Well, when the economy is hurting at the rate it is, uh, are people really going to be buying as much in general? And if so, are they going to take a chance on a product that is not from a marketplace they've learned to trust yet? I think that's going to be hard. I think with Facebook, it has just become like, like piping for our economy. It's a way where, where people talk to each other and and it's less, less of a social network and more of, of just a place where you're going to have your page, you're going to have your, your study group for your class or whatever it might be. Facebook groups is going to probably be the future of Facebook. It's going to be less about your friends and family and more about communities of people. We've already seen that happen right now with coronavirus. In terms of minutes spent, I think people are more online than ever and they're going to spend time on all of these. Okay. So Mark's strategy in the past, I, 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 as an observer, has been to acquire the nearest threat competitor to him. So WhatsApp and Instagram. He tried Snapchat, he just couldn't get it. Will he try and go again now that maybe the valuations have dropped? Would he try and buy Snapchat, do you think? Or would he try and buy TikTok? Or, or, or is he just barking up a tree? It, it can never happen. I don't think that Facebook's going to buy TikTok. Kevin Systrom actually was the one who first told Facebook's deals team to look at Musical.ly yeah. back in 2016. They found a, a lot of issues. First of all, with the Chinese ownership, how would you make that work? Second of all, with the, the issues of, of age verification, the site didn't have good verification for people who were underage. So they just saw a lot of problems with potentially acquiring that. With Snapchat, that's, that's interesting. I just don't think Evan Spiegel would ever work for Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, I, agree I, <laughs> I don't see that happening. I mean, he he know he knew that about himself from the very first time Zuckerberg asked him to to come work there. And I think honestly, I think Zuckerberg respected him more for that. Zuckerberg himself didn't sell Facebook, as I mentioned earlier, and he really respects when entrepreneurs decide to take the bigger risk. And although he was pretty angry at, at Spiegel for a long time for the media coverage of that, of that instance, which he blamed Spiegel for leaking. But, but I, I mean, I think, I think Facebook's not going to get to do a major competitive acquisition like that anymore. In the U S alone, they're under antitrust investigation by the FTC, the DOJ, 47 state attorneys general Regulators in Europe are also also breathing down Facebook's neck. I just I think that that is that is the thing that they're worried about on the regulatory side. 
antitrust is the thing they're worried about more than almost anything else. It's, uh, it's antitrust, it's encryption, especially in India, and it's privacy in Europe. Those are the three big issues facing Facebook in its future. And, and I don't think that they're going to take that risk. But you will see them acquire things in markets that uh, maybe we don't think of as Facebook markets yet. Not yeah, so bit, obviously social media. Yeah, a bit like the Oculus acquisition, I guess, something along those yeah. lines. The last couple of questions. You, you mentioned the, the Chinese aspect of Musical.ly. We're on Zoom right now. Zoom is the company that's hit 46 billion market capitalization, higher than all of the American airlines put together. Um, and then suddenly the security issue raised its head and then the Chinese issue raised its head. Is Zoom or do you think Zoom's going to have a, a fall off now or, or is that going to just be blown away? Because I think Nancy Pelosi this week uh, addressed Zoom as um, a Chinese company, even though it's a Delaware-based company. Listen, there's a whole lot that people are willing to give up for convenience. You can write a million articles about how bad Facebook is for your privacy. People will still use it if it if it gets them that you know the connection they need to another person. And so I think the thing that will keep Zoom going is that it's easy to use. Like people who are my grandparents use Zoom yeah. last week. Maybe that's that's not good from a privacy standpoint, but people are willing to give up privacy in order to have connection. And if there's anything I've learned in years of, of covering social media, it's that whether that's good for us, I think we need to be asking a lot more for a lot more answers from the companies on how they work behind the scenes on what we're giving up on what we're signing up for. Um, when we all signed up for Facebook, Think about how much less Facebook was able to know about us. They didn't have computer vision. They didn't have artificial intelligence at the level they do today. The amount of information Facebook can parse from our posts now is so much richer than it used to be when all they had was what we put in our about me info. So, so I think, I think it's not just about the, the current state of privacy, but how much more as, as AI gets better, as computer vision gets better, how much more we will give up and, and just knowing what, we, what the trade-off is. Well, I guess the, the, the old trade-off was if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And I guess we are the product. We, we, we sacrifice our privacy in, in order to get a free Twitter or a free Facebook or a free whatever. Do you, do you think Andrew Yang's comment that we – that all these platforms should charge, which would get rid of trolls and maybe then change the balance of ownership between the user and the company. Do you think we should go to a paid model? The digital divide is already so stark. I mean, as we're going through this, um, this moment, I think about it even more. There are people who don't own computers in our countries and around the world. Well, only about half of the world is connected to the internet. If we start paying for these gateways, start charging for these gateways to, to things that have now become infrastructure of society, where you know, it's impossible to apply for a job sometimes if you can't find the contact information for the place you're applying to, all of these things 
um, that tie into how we how we operate in society. We shouldn't put up a, a money barrier to that, but what we should do is have a whole lot more transparency about what we're signing up for, what exactly happens with our information as we send it, and, and having it shown to us in a way that we can say no. Yeah, okay. Now, last question. You've written this great book. I highly recommend reading it. It's, it's a wonderful read, and the story, as you said, was an untold story, so congratulations on that. What's your next book? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean what's my next anything i i think i'm just taking it one day at a time like all of us right now you know i i will always be fascinated at at the intersection between how companies are built and how they affect our behavior i think that i would hope that any business book considers not just the the palace intrigue of these corporations but also the outside story and so i think whatever book i write next will will be one that interrogates not just not just you know these hero stories of people who make products that become very successful and how they did it but also the the trade-offs and the consequences for all of us yeah I, i'm just trying to take that all in i, I think it is going to be it's going to be very fascinating post-covid19 look Sarah Freer, I thank you so much for your time. It's fascinating to hear your thoughts on Instagram and obviously the wider beat that you cover. Where can people find you if they want to get hold of you, read more about you? Where, where, where can they follow you? I'm at Sarah Fryer on Twitter and Instagram. My, my DMs are open. I love hearing from people about what they're finding on social media and, and how it's affecting their lives. So feel free to reach out. And the book is available anywhere you buy your books. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great day. See you soon. Take care. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. Don't forget to visit samtalks.technology to discover more great shows and interviews. See you next week. Same time, same place.